Welcome to the 80th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC 278 and we're cutting it after that. We're only talking about UFC 278. I think this conversation will go quite long so I don't want to do anything after that and there's no fight card next week to preview um, so we're really only focusing on UFC 278. Now um, if my voice is a little raspy my apologies because um, last night was UFC 278 and we did see some madness um, and that madness um, if you're not um, aware Leon Edwards knocked out Kamaru Usman with a head kick now once again I said this last week but I'll say it again this week if you know nothing about the head kick KO podcast just know that I love myself a good head kick KO and this one might just be the best of all of them um I mean if you didn't watch the fight I'll give you a brief rundown of of what happened so in the first round Leon Edwards was able to land a very very big takedown and he took the back of Kamaru Usman controlled him from that position for the rest of the round and from there, it looked like Kamara, or it looked like Leon Edwards was off to the races. It looked like he was in a really good position. He had one round in the bank already, won the first round 10-9, and um, he he was able to outgrapple Kamaru in that round. And it looked like he he was going to be able to sustain that. Um, coming into round two, that's not what happened. Kamaru really started to pull ahead. He started to grapple more started to really pressure Edwards up against the fence and when Leon got back to the fence he wasn't really able to do much he wasn't able to get off the fence um, he got taken down a handful of times Kamau did a good job of landing some solid combinations up against the fence some good body work um, he landed a good uppercut I believe it was if I'm remembering correctly and that pretty much took place in round two round three and round four so going into round five Kamaru Usman had all of the momentum, all of it, um, and he had three rounds in the bank. So the only way that Leon could win this fight is if he went out there and got himself a 10-8 and walked away with a draw, or otherwise he would have had to go out there and uh, knock out Kamaru Usman, and that is exactly what he did. He threw the left jab, I believe it was. Kamaru then slips to his right. And as he's slipping that jab to his right, that left leg of Leon Edwards comes over the top and catches him right on the chin and puts him out cold. No follow-up shots needed. A clean head kick KO, a walk-off KO from Leon Edwards, who is now your UFC welterweight champion. And I feel like I have a pretty good opinion on head kicks. You know, they are um, my favorite. My favorite strike in MMA. And I love a good head kick KO, like I said. And, and I don't know if this is a little too reactionary, but I do think that is the best head kick KO that we have seen in the sport of MMA. Um, off the top of my head, um, there are some others, obviously. Holly Holmes' head kick of Ronda Rousey was a good one. Um, Kevin Lee's head kick 
of Gregor Gillespie holds a special place in my heart. I really like that one. I wouldn't say it's the best. Um, Valentina Shevchenko landed a big one on Jessica I. Um, and then you can throw in some front kicks as well. Anderson Silva's front kick um, against Vitor, if you'd like to count that, because technically it is a head kick, not a roundhouse, which is the classic head kick KO, but it was still a head kick KO. Um, some spinning heel kicks in there, whether it be Barbosa. But um, here, when, when we're looking at this one, it's got everything. It's a comeback. It's an upset. It's the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world going down. So I think when you take all of those things into account, and the fact that he's actually out cold too, right? It's not like there were ground and pound shots needed. He was out cold. So this one, putting it on the top of my list, and um, that's the best head kick KO that I've seen. He set it up perfect, perfectly, pitcher perfect setup. Gets him to slip that jab, and he ducks right into it. Um, I can't express to you how... How I felt when I saw this because there's a lot of emotions when you see that because you had the announcers talking about Leon Edwards being pretty much walk pretty much walking his way to a unanimous decision loss, um, you know, and, and Kamaru doesn't have, or excuse me, Leon doesn't have the best body language in the corner. Um, Leon, you know, hasn't been able to land his strikes, and he he looked like he was getting slightly frustrated in, in the amount of time he was being held up against the fence, um, and it all flipped on a dime um, to what was one of the craziest things that has ever happened in the sport of MMA. Um, it's not often that we see the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world go out cold like that. Um, I think the last time we saw something like that was Conor McGregor knocking out Jose Aldo. Um, I'm sure I'm missing sometimes that the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world lost. Um, I know, I think Demetrius Johnson might have had it for a while. John Jones had it for a very long period of time. He never lost with that title. Um, And I'm sure there were some others. We don't need to go over the history of the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC. But regardless... You know, Kamaru did have that status, and he was absolutely out cold. Um, I, 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 like I said, I really can't put into words how much this surprised me, this, uh, this excited me. Um, I mean, I like Leon Edwards. I don't really have anything against Kamaru Usman, but when you witness something like that, it's just like holy crap. Um, I, I'm pretty speechless to be honest. So. I, I I do think we're gonna we're gonna move on from that because I've just been reminiscing about how wild that was for a couple minutes now, but um, tremendous 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 from Leon Edwards. I cannot express that enough. Um, now, moving forward, I'm very interested in in what the future is going to hold for both Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. Okay. Because both guys, I shouldn't say Leon has a lot of options. He's going to fight the number one contender. But what what is Kamaru Usman going to do? I think there's probably a 90% chance that he, or it would be a trilogy because that was the rematch. But I think there's about a 90% chance that he he fights Leon again. Um, Now, what are the other, what's that other 10% look like? 
I, I think that a lot of people have discussed him moving up to 185 and 205. I think we should take 205, curl it up in a ball, and toss it out the window. Um, I don't think there's any need for that, any use for that. doesn't make any sense. Not very smart. Um, I don't think getting knocked out at 170 and then going up 35 pounds in weight makes any sense at all. Um, we can go further into that, but I don't think we need to. Um, I will elaborate in the future if anyone disagrees with, with that statement, I, I will elaborate further, but it doesn't make any sense for him to do that. Um, the 185-pound belt would not be a terrible move for him. However, if he doesn't want to fight Israel Adesanya, you know, he, that, that, that move isn't going to happen for a significant period of time. Um, Israel Adesanya is fighting Alex Pereira. And... Even for that to make any any sense for Kamara to move up, if he doesn't want to fight Izzy, Alex Pereira would not only have to beat Izzy, but he'd have to beat him in a rematch because Izzy has earned that right, just like Kamara has, um, where you have a certain amount of title defenses and a certain amount of consecutive wins, and you automatically earn a title defense or a, an immediate rematch or, in Kamara's case, a trilogy. So both of those guys have earned those things. So even if Kamara wanted to move up to 180, he'd have to hope that Pereira beat Izzy twice. And he would have to wait probably about a year for that to happen. So I don't think that that makes any sense. Go get your belt back at 170. If you're going to make the move to 185 pounds, have the 170-pound belt with you so you can then be a double champ. Um, I think it would be a waste to... Um, go up to 185 pounds, win that belt, but not get double champ status. That seems pointless to me. Well, not pointless. I shouldn't say pointless. You're winning a belt in another division. That's tremendous. Um, but I do think it makes more sense to, if you're in Usman's position, try and become the double champ with it. So I think there's about a 90% chance that we see that. Maybe maybe it's higher than 90, but you get, you get the point I'm making. Um, I think it's incredibly likely that we see Edwards versus Usman 3. And this is also, like, if you're Camaro, you know, he, he won three rounds quite easily. And I think in his mind, he's probably just, you know, thinking I'm the better fighter. I won three rounds. I just got caught. Um, which, there's a level of truth to that. But at the same time, Kamara, or Leon wasn't, you know, Leon didn't get lucky here. He, per he set up a, a perfect an absolutely perfect head kick in one. That's why he won, because it was perfect. Um, so I think that does kind of throw a wrench in that in that thought, but I, I do understand where that would be coming from. Now, in terms of projecting a rematch, or excuse me, I keep saying, I keep saying rematch. Um, in terms of projecting a trilogy, that's really interesting to me um, for a couple of reasons. Because in theory, you could say, okay, Usman knows that he has to control Leon up against the fence. And you can think, okay, that's going to be his game plan for five rounds. He goes out there, does that again for five rounds, and this time he doesn't get hit with the head kick and he wins. Um, a very legitimate thought process, and I understand that thought process. However, um, what happens if that altitude really affected Leon Edwards? And this time we're in Vegas, or this time we're in England, and that altitude doesn't affect him the same, and the grappling exchanges, I'm not saying they're like they were in the first round, but at a minimum, they're, they're more competitive and more similar to what we saw in the first round. Maybe Edwards doesn't get that, that takedown and, and take the back again, 
but maybe we see him, you know, defend takedowns a little bit more efficiently from rounds two through five um, than he did in this fight. Um, maybe that was an effect of the altitude. We won't be able to tell really until that uh, that third fight. And another thing that really interests me there, when you're projecting rematches or trilogies or anytime it's past a first fight, I always like to look at game plans and how can you adjust and how can you improve? What can you do to change the outcome or improve upon the outcome that you got? Um, I think that is something that is very interesting to me, right? And sometimes fighters make adjustments and other times fighters don't make adjustments. And it's a really big variable. And a great example of that is Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. Amanda Nunes made all the right adjustments in her game plan with the check hooks um, to be a lot more successful. Well, Juliana Pena, you know, came in with the game plan of I'm going to do the same exact thing that I did last time. And it didn't work. Um, so I am interested in how the game plans will change. But the one thing that really piques my interest is when you look at this fight, Leon had a great first round, but really Leon can look at round two, round three, and round four and pick out pieces and areas where he can improve, right? That is that is paramount to being more successful in this rematch. He can go, okay, I can't sit up against the fence like this um, because every time I do that and sit up against the fence, I, I'm getting touched, and I can't go to the high guard because when I go to the high guard, he digs to the body, and, and he's splitting the guard or going around the guard. So that can't be my main form of defense. Um, so in the third fight, does he come out and look to press the center a little bit more? In the third fight, does he decide, okay, I'm going to try and slip or counter when my back's up against the fence? Um, does he decide, okay, I need to make a very concentrated effort to control the cage, control footwork, and really, if I'm pressed up against that cage, circle out? Um, and that way, it'll be harder for him to get takedowns or control time as well. So I think those are things where Leon can look at that and tangibly isolate areas where he can improve. If you're Kamaru Usman, where are you going to improve, right? Um, you look at that first round and you say, okay, well, I got taken down. And maybe he was just caught by surprise there. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that will be a big portion of his game plan. But then you look at rounds four, you look at rounds, excuse me, rounds two through rounds four, and you go, I did a lot of good things here. You know what you need to keep doing, right? But how do you adjust off something that was very, very good? How do you, because in reality, he pitched nearly a perfect game rounds two through four. How do you improve upon pitching a perfect game? It's, you know, you really can't do much. Can you strike out more batters? Here's what I can do to add a little bit more. But in terms of improving upon something that was already great, it's not as hard. It's easier to improve upon something that was not nearly um, as efficient. And then when he watches that fifth round, he's got 15 seconds of a, of a clip to go, okay, well I, well, I slipped the jab and I got hit with a head kick. How could I improve and not get caught with the same head kick in the second fight? or in, I keep saying second fight, in the third fight, right? Can that be a point of, here's where I can improve? Sure. But I, I it's hard to imagine that Leon's just gonna, you know, walk into this third fight and go, okay, well, I have to spam, jab, head kick, you know? That's not gonna be his game plan coming into the into the next fight. You know, will head kicks be a part of his game? I'm sure they will. 
Um, but if, if that would be a small aspect of the game that Kamaru can improve upon as to where Leon has this big blueprint of things he can improve upon. Um, so I think it is really interesting because I think going into that third fight, I think Edwards will be the more improved fighter. And I think that makes a really interesting matchup going into that next bout. Um, and if that's if that's not an elevation and he makes improvements, we may see Leon Edwards win again. Um, I think right now I, w- I would lean Kamaru. But um, there's a piece of me that really believes that Leon can get it done the third time based off what we saw and what I what I what I think in the future, right? It's it's a really interesting matchup going into that third fight. And and we'll talk about it more in the future, right? We don't have to break it all down and break all the X's and O's down now. We can do it the the week of the fight when, when we do the preview. But I think there is a lot of interesting things here that really pique my interest that we don't see a lot, right? It's 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 not like something that we usually see. We don't see the winner being the one to have more improvements to make or more things to work on. That's usually not the case, right? Juliana Pena wasn't the one who had a list of things she needed to highly improve upon after her fight with Amanda Amanda Nunes. Did she have some? Yes. But Amanda Nunes had a list of, here's what I can do. Here's what I can do to win the next fight. Um, So I'm interested to see how each fighter will attack that third fight. And I think that will be a very interesting fight. The biggest loser out of all of this is Hamza Chimaev, right? Hamza Chimaev was in a great position if Kamara Usman won. All Hamza Chimaev had to do, he's already beat Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is the fight that he needed to get that title shot. Now, he's not getting a title shot right away. All he had to, he already he did the hard lifting part, getting beating Gilbert Burns. Now he's got to beat Nate Diaz. Easy, no, but he is a minus. I don't know what the line is off the top of my head. He's a Big, big favorite in that fight. So all he needed to do was go out there and take care of business against Nate Diaz. And he would have got a title shot if Kamaru Usman won that fight. But he did not win that fight. So I think I think uh, Hamza Chimaev is the biggest loser out of this whole situation. Another big loser is, I don't want to say loser necessarily. But I also think this puts Jorge Masvidal in an interesting position. Um, because with a loss for Leon Edwards, I think Jorge Masvidal versus Leon Edwards would have been the fight to make. And that would have been a very good fight for Jorge Masvidal from not only a stylistic standpoint. He could go in there and look to kickbox for three or five rounds, however long that fight goes. So I think that would have been good for him stylistically. I don't think he wins that fight. Let me say that clear. But I do think he has a better chance of beating Leon than someone like Colby or Gilbert Burns. I will, Or, or Hamza Chumayev. I will go that far. Um, but now with that in mind, that fight's out the window. So he's got to do some harder lifting against someone. Probably it's probably going to be Gilbert Burns, but on the flip side of that, it's like, if he beats Gilbert Burns, does he get a title shot? If Leon can beat, you know, if Leon can beat Usman, why not? Why not give Masvidal a title shot? If Leon beats Usman and Masvidal beats Gilbert Burns, you know, why not Jorge Masvidal versus Leon Edwards? I get Hamza Chimaev would still be there, but the storyline of Leon Edwards versus Jorge Masvidal, the rematch, the the three-piece in a soda, there is a lot there that the UFC could really, really market and promote. Um, Even if Jorge Masvidal wasn't the most deserving 
fighter for the belt, I'm not sure that the UFC wouldn't make that move. So I do think what I'm trying to tell you here is this fight and Leon Edwards being champion really pre- really presents a lot of interesting scenarios that I really did not have in my mind. I didn't really think could happen. Um, even even with Leon Edwards versus Hamza Chimaev, those two were scheduled to fight, what, two, three times at least? Leon, I think, had to pull out once, and I think Hamza Chimaev got COVID once or twice. Um, I know that Hamza pulled out at least once because that's when Bilal Muhammad stepped in. So... I think it's really interesting here, basically, is what I'm trying to tell you. So, at 170, I think there's a lot of interesting things that will happen at 170, and I promise you, um, in the future, we're going to have a lot of discussions about this 170-pound division. Now that we've rambled on about that fight for about 20 minutes, let's move on to Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. Um, This was a very strange fight. Not a bad fight. I'm not saying it was a bad fight, but it was strange. Both guys looked pretty affected by the altitude, um, so that was not great, right? But at the same time, we had a lot, a lot of action, right? Um, Paulo Costa did a really good job of doing enough to win this fight, but Luke Rockhold did a really good job of, well, first of all, Luke Rockhold's chin held up, which was an absolute surprise to me. I had it penciled in that eventually that chin was going to crack, right? I think I said in the pre in a, in the preview episode that I was really intrigued in that fight and that I thought Rockhold could win moments, right? I thought he could win until he wasn't winning. Um, I don't know if that's the exact phrase they used, but I think that was the point that I was getting at. Luke Rockhold could win this fight until he wasn't winning until Paulo Costa landed a, a big shot, but. Luke Rockhold ate some big shots, and he also landed some big shots of his own. Um, I think there was that big overhand right that landed right on Paulo Costa's chin. That was some very good work. Luke Rockhold did a lot, a lot of really good work. Ultimately, he did get tired, but he fought through that tiredness, right? Um, I think there's times where a lot of people get good cardio confused with a fighter who gets tired and fights through it, right? A lot of guys have really bad cardio problems because they get tired and quit, or they get tired and start getting beat up. Other guys don't necessarily have cardio problems, but they'll get tired, but they fight through it. Um, Justin Gaethje is one of those type of fighters where if Justin Gaethje gets tired, it's he's getting tired because he's fighting at an incredibly high pace. And this isn't as true for the Gaethje that has been fighting recently. I think this is more of a characteristic of his earlier career. Michael Johnson fights a great example where Gaethje gets incredibly tired, right? Gaethje's tired, but um, he never quits. And eventually that pulls him to a win. So I think that's the type of performance that we saw from Luke Rockhold there. Um, We'll go with Luke first for Luke. um, I think he made the right decision to retire, right? Once you lose this fight, it's like, what do you fight? What, What do you have to do now? Because looking at that division, he just lost to Paul Acosta. He would have had to fight a little bit lower in the rankings. Um, so when I look at some names, you know, he would have been looking at fights with Strickland's booked, but Strickland, Hermanson booked, booked. Till, Muniz, Gastelum. It's like he's a decent way from, you know, a title shot. He's a decent way from the top five. 
and he said it himself. He was very, very old. He's been through a lot. He's been through a lot of issues. So um, I think it was the right decision for Luke Rockhold. I think he retired at a good time. He gave it one last go. That one last go, he fell short. But um, he did not, you know, you know, he didn't do anything too crazy or too harmful to himself. Um, and he got himself in a fight of the night. So um, very, very, very important. Very impressed and happy with, with what we got from Luke Rockhold. For Paulo Costa, um, I'm surprised he didn't win this fight a little bit more cleanly. Once again, that altitude might have affected him. Um, but nonetheless, he put on a great performance, did a lot of good things, beat up on Rockhold a little bit early, um, landed some really good body kicks. I liked a lot of the things Paulo did offensively. Um, I wish he would have been a little bit more offensive, but I think that was some hesitancy due to the altitude once again. We saw Paulo Costa go and get into a brawl with UL Romero, and he made it through two rounds very easily, got tired, a little tired in the third, at the end of the third. But I think that's, you know, what happens when you give it your all for 15 minutes, right? You should be relatively tired at the end. You don't want to be gassed, but, you know, he looked like he had just gotten in a 15-minute fight there. Um, so I know he doesn't have bad cardio. So once again, the altitude, I think, raised its head here. And um, from there, um, Paulo Costa, not a bad fight. Um, I, in the post, in the pre-fight thing, he said he had one fight left on his deal. Um, that would have been the Rockhold fight. In the post-fight presser, he's like, I don't know if I have zero fights left or one fight left. So I don't really know exactly what's going on with Paulo Costa. Um, so if his next fight is in the UFC... I think he takes on like the ooh, we're gonna have to okay we're gonna have to wait for matchups to play out here. We've got Whitaker Vittori. Um, if Whitaker loses, Whitaker costs to give it to me. Um, if Vittori loses, Vittori costs it doesn't make sense. Whitaker costs it doesn't also doesn't make sense. You've got Strickland and who's Strickland booked to fight? Oh, Strickland and Brunson are booked to fight and. Cannoneer and who's booked to fight in this division? I know these guys are booked to fight. Let me give you a okay. Hermanson Brunson, Cannoneer versus Strickland. Okay, that's settled. So we've got those two fights Hermanson versus Brunson, Cannoneer versus Strickland. Had him backwards. My bad. Um, those two fights. We're going to see two winners and two losers. Um, throw Vittori and Whitaker in there as well. Um, once those three fights happen, at the end of the year, the UFC can look back. And Ethan Cannonier versus Strickland, that's October 15th. So that actually isn't too far down the road. Manson versus Brunson's December 3rd. Um, Vittori, Whitaker, three, two weeks. Jeez, I had my timeline all mixed up. Regardless, regardless. Um, Paul is going to fight either a winner or loser of one of those fights. I'm not going to sit here and talk about hypotheticals and if this guy wins and if this guy loses, but in this fight, if we switch it around, you know, you get into a rabbit hole real fast of hypotheticals. So I think there's three fights at the top of 185 pounds. Um, when those three fights are finished, we can kind of figure out exactly um, what what we're going to do next after that. Now, moving on. Marab Divalishvili versus Jose Aldo. Um, 
I think the best way to describe that fight is the sound that I just made. A deep exhale of, oh, man. I I don't like what happened in this fight, right? I wanted to see Jose Aldo win. I wanted to see Jose Aldo fight for a title. We didn't see that. Um, we didn't see that, and we didn't even see something. I don't want to say, how do I word this? Marab Devalashvili didn't set the house on fire, right? Um, Murad Devalashvili is now in... Well, we'll talk about the fight first. Jose Aldo goes out there, defends every single takedown that Murab attempts. I think he was 15 for 15 on takedown attempts. Or 15 for 15 on takedown defense. Murab then, however, every time he didn't get a takedown, he held Aldo up against the fence. Well, I shouldn't say every time. The majority of the times. In these striking exchanges, Marab came in with heavy pressure while Aldo attacked the body through knees, through some leg kicks, but overall fairly low output from Aldo. This was, you know, not great. This was not a great fight. Because on one hand, you can say, oh, Marab, you know, all he did was hold him up against the fence and he didn't do anything and he shouldn't have won that fight. He didn't do any damage. All he did was control him up against the fence. However, Jose Aldo, when they were at um, a distance, he fought at a very, very, very low value. Um, in the first round, I was thinking, man, this is, we're seeing some decent striking, you know, I, I don't want to say opportunities. Um, they were striking from a distance for a decent period of time. And Aldo didn't really throw much. It looked like he was looking to counter, was never able to counter too efficiently. So even though Marab did little damage in those clinch positions, um, I will give Marab a little credit. He did land some really good strikes in that third round. Not a bunch, but in comparison to what we saw in the first two, he did pick up the pace more in the third round. And I think if that were a five-round fight, he would have you know, had a much better fourth and fifth round. I think every round that went on, it it went from being 50-50 in round one to slight Mirab lean, and then a decently large Mirab lean in rounds two and round three. So I imagine if we see round four and round five, Mirab pulls ahead a little bit more in each of those rounds as well. Um, but even though we didn't do much damage, Jose Aldo didn't do much damage either. So it's it wasn't really a great fight, you know. You didn't... Yeah. You know, Marab didn't necessarily punch his ticket to a title, you know, and he doesn't, you don't, we, we don't really know what Marab wants to do because Marab now beat the number three ranked guy in the world, but doesn't want to fight for the title, right? So do you want to go out to 145? Do you want to go down to 135? Do you want to sit at, at um, excuse me, do you want to go up to 145? Do you want to go down to 125? Do you want to sit at 135 and be the number one contender and just beat random fighters that um, have lost for the belt or are trying to get the belt, you know. It gets to a point where it's like, I know you guys are boys, and I'm not saying all Joe and Marab should fight, but I'm saying we should figure out a solution rather than just have these two guys who one's the champion and one's the title contender. Um, I guess maybe they're waiting until... You know, Aljo fights TJ Dillashaw to make that decision. 
uh, because if Aljo beats TJ Dillashaw, you know, he's got some decent matchups for him after that. Um, you know, if, if Aljo has to fight Sean O'Malley, that's a, a pretty good matchup for him, too. Um, he's already beat, beat Piotr Jan once. Jan might be the toughest matchup for him. So it's like, how long can Aljamain Sterling reign that division? You know, is Marab just going to sit there and wait? Once again, we have a lot of ifs on the side of Marab. So I'm not exactly sure what to expect. Um, and I don't think anybody really knows. So I think we're just in this interesting position of we're just waiting for somebody to say what Marab's going to do. Um, I don't know why the UFC booked this fight. In hindsight, it doesn't make any sense. If Marab doesn't want to fight for a title, don't absolutely rush him up the ranks with opportunities. If you don't want to fight for a title, that's fine. But make him fight, you know, don't throw him all the way up there against number three and give him a great chance to promote himself. You're not even, from a business standpoint, you're not really promoting yourself that much, you know. You're promoting yourself for nothing, actually. Unless he wants to go down to 125, then a win uh, against Aldo, and you go down to 125, that makes your win against Aldo very meaningful in that division. Because Aldo would, you know, do, you know, in comparison, Aldo is probably a tougher guy to beat than some of these other guys at 125 pounds. Not all of them, some of them. So, I, I think it, it's, I don't really know. I, I Once again, I'm just talking hypotheticals here. Um, and it's starting to get frustrating because of how how much it doesn't make sense. For Aldo, I'd like to know what Aldo's plan is. Because Aldo's talk was, I'm going to win against Marab, win the belt, retire. But now we're in a spot where you didn't beat Marab. Are you going to retire now? Um, at the same time, you didn't take any damage. You just got out controlled. He didn't look too bad. Um... Don't take Jose Aldo to elevation again. Take Jose, Jose Aldo to a place closer to sea level the next time he fights. I don't know who made the decision to put Jose Aldo, a guy who is known for having, I don't want to say known for having cardio issues, but he has had cardio issues in the past. Um, so why did he fight in altitude? I don't know. But I think if we see another Jose Aldo fight, I think he needs to fight Dominic Cruz. Um, and the loser should retire, and the winner can continue to fight. I think that makes sense, if they if they choose to. All right, we spent a lot of time here on the top three fights. Those really were the best three fights, so we're going to get quite a bit quicker here. Um, Lucy Poldova versus Yenan Wu. Um, I don't mean to beat up on either of these women, but this fight was not great. Lucy Podovovich got herself a good TKO finish, yes. But she threw Yanan Wu in a head and arm. If I, I wrestled in high school, and if I got thrown in a head and arm, I would have been absolutely torn apart by my coach because it's one of the easiest moves to defend. So I don't think we were seeing the highest level of MMA in that match. Tyson Pedro went out there and beat up on Harry Hunsucker, who is now 7-6. and six. Um... I like Tyson Pedro. I think he's a very good fighter. He's got some really good striking and some great jujitsu. Um, but um, he was very clearly the better fighter in this fight, and Hunsucker didn't really have much for him. Now, a more interesting fight, Marcin Tabora versus Alexander Romanov. Um, in that first round, it looked like Romanov was going to walk out of there with a 30-27 
or maybe even a 30-26. Um, in, the, in the last two rounds, Marcin Tabora used that underrated strike he has. He's a very underrated striker, and, you know, he, he did some really good things um, on the feet, and he won himself the last two rounds and got out of there with a decision. Um, ooh, I'm not, I'm not out on Romanov, but I do think that was a good lesson, a good learning curve for him. Moving forward for both of these guys, I'm looking at Marcin Tybura, and he's fought just about everybody in this division. Booking his next fight's going to be difficult. Um, when you look at that division, you've got Dauskas and Rosenstrike who are booked against each other, so neither of those fights are going to happen. And he should be rewarded because he took on the biggest, baddest prospect. And uh, he secured his spot in the division. So, credit to him for that. Um, but if you want to have him fight higher in that division, I believe he's already fought Volkov and Derek Lewis. So, neither of those fights are, you know, the next fight that are going to happen. Unless they, I, those are strange fights to rematch. I think that's a problem we run into a lot at heavyweight. Um, yep, he lost to Volkov in his last fight, so that fight, probably not going to rematch that. He's got a win over Spivak, a loss to Sakai, a loss to Shamil, a loss to Derek Lewis. Maybe they run the Derek Lewis fight back? That was in 2018. Um, he's been in the UFC for a long time and in that top 15 for a while, so it's going to be tough to find him a guy he hasn't fought in front of him in the rankings, you know? Unless he wants to wait for the winner or loser of Rosenstrike and Dawkins. Um, maybe that makes a level of sense. I, I really don't know what else after that. You know, I, I, I really don't. I'd I love to have a great idea from Marcin Tabura, but I don't. I don't think Romanov should slide very far. I do think he is a top 15 fighter. I think 13 is a good rank for him at the moment. I think he can improve upon that rank. I do think he has a lot of potential still. But this was just a bump in the road. And I think ultimately this is going to be a learning experience in a fight where, or in a fighter's career where he is going to still do good things. You know, I, I'm i not out on Alexander Romanov. I think any of these guys in the 12 to 15 range makes sense. Sergei Spivak, Shamil, and Blagnoy. Evolve. I think all of those names make sense for Alexander Romanov in his next fight. Okay. Um, ba -ba -ba. Jared Gordon versus Leonardo Santos. Jared Gordon did a really good job of staying out of really dangerous positions against a dangerous guy and getting himself a win. John Woodson versus Luis Saldana. Luis Saldana is the biggest loser of this fight card. Had John Woodson knocked out in the first round, and he hits him with an illegal knee. You know, he had the dude stiff. All he had to do was run up and just throw a hammer fist, and the fight was going to get stopped. What'd you do? Throws an illegal knee, and um, the fight gets not stopped, but, you know, Sean Woodson gets time to recover. I can't believe Sean Woodson kept fighting. He should have just called it there. But he was able to win two rounds after that and get himself a um, decision tie, I guess. I guess that's not bad for Sean Woodson considering he was almost knocked out in round one. Um, for Saldana, he, you know, he really messed that one up. I'll just leave it at that. Um, Sean Woodson 
can't believe, once again, can't believe he continued fighting. That was a very strange fight um, in total. Ange Lusa versus AJ Fletcher. AJ Fletcher fell victim, in my opinion, and maybe um, Ange as well. But AJ Fletcher very, very badly fell victim to the elevation of Salt Lake City. Um, he got tired, and from there, it was, he did some good work, too. He got tired beating up on Lusa. Um, but eventually, he got tired, and Lusa pulled ahead. Um, Amir Abdazi and Francisco Figueiredo. Let me first say, we had the number 11-ranked flyweight as the third fight on the early prelims. You wonder why you can't get people interested in the flyweight division. You're burying the ranked fighters on the early prelims. No wonder nobody knows who any of these guys are. You got to watch from 6.30 to, you know, the main event at midnight if you want to see these guys. Um, but Amir Abdazi had a very good win. I'm not as high as on Francisco Figueiredo as a lot of people. I think he's got some flaws. He's got good submissions. But Amir Abdazi was able to control him, slowly work his way to mount, and get himself a finish. I like Amir Abdazi. Um, I think moving forward, Tim Elliott, David Dvorak, I think those are logical names. Get him someone ahead of him in the rankings after he just was willing to fight an unranked guy and put him on uh, UFC 280 if they have slots left. I don't know how booked that card is at the moment because I know they've added a lot, a lot of big names to that card. Um, let me tell you how many fights are on that card in a second. Brief little update on 280. We have 15 bouts on UFC 280 right now. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 bouts on UFC 280. I hate to break it to Amir Abdazi, but that card is full. Sorry, man. Last two fights. Origi Lang versus Jay Perrin. Very good fight. Jay Perrin almost got himself a nice comeback victory, but he was unable to get the finish. Origi Lang got himself a nice win. Um, Victor Altaramano did completely come back as he was dropped early, but eventually dropped Daniel De Silva with some body work, landed some good ground and pound, um, massive elbows, a little bit of a late stoppage, but, um, you know, what can you do? Um, that was the last fight on the card. I, I don't have anything else, like I said. Um... That's all we're going to talk about today. And we're not going to go over fight amount announcements. I think there were three that I was going to, but um, we talked a lot today about some, some fights. So we're not going to go over those. All, all, you know, those were three decent fights. Tony Ferguson was the best of them against Lee Jing Liang. I don't really have a very high opinion on that fight. I don't think it should have been booked. Um, so I don't really want to get too negative. We already talked about Dowskis and... Um, Rosenstrike a little bit, decent fight, and what was the last fight? I didn't even put it on my notes, um, because I wasn't going to say this. What was the last one? What was the last one? Um, Brad Riddell versus Hanato Moicano, very good fight. Um, those were the three fights that were booked, in case you were interested. We're not going to go in depth on them. Um, what else did I have? Oh, please go follow the other social media accounts if you made it this far. Um, I'd appreciate it if you go follow those Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Head Get KO Podcasts on all of them. It was just um, Twitter and, and TikTok for a very long time. I revived the Instagram. It was dead. I deleted it, but I revived it. I, I made some graphics. And 
I started doing, you know, news and fight announcements on there. So it's more of a news page unless, you know, this this podcast is mostly me giving you my opinion, um, but that the Instagram, the, the Twitter and TikTok are a lot of my opinion as well. The Instagram, in, in my eyes, is more of a news source to where you can see fight bookings. Um, I'm mainly only going to do top 15 guys on the Instagram that get booked um, unless there's like a major unranked fighter a la Patty Pimblet or, you know, someone major that's, you know, not ranked, you know, fighter coming out of retirement. Um, Robbie Lawler versus Santiago Ponzinibbio. Fights like that I'll, I'll throw on there as well, but mostly it's going to be the top 15. Um, retirements. LV retiring, Shane Burgos with the PFL, that type of stuff gets tossed up on there. Um, Dana White Contender Series contracts get tossed up on there. Um, and maybe we'll throw some more stuff on there too, but that's just what we've got going right now. So major news, mostly. So if you're interested in that, go follow that account. Um, Headkick KO Podcast or Headkick KO Pod, you'll, you know, it's not that hard to find. Maybe it is because there aren't very many followers on that. But um, go follow that as well if you're interested. And um, next week, I honestly have no clue what um, the plan is for next week. We don't have a fight card on Saturday, so there's not going to be anything to recap. I might do a preview. Oh, I got to do a preview of UFC Paris. So we'll be back next week. I was thinking about taking the week off, but... um, Probably won't. I want to talk about UFC Paris, so maybe I'll do I'll do some maybe I'll do some tape study throughout the week and on Saturday. And for UFC Paris, I'll try and give you like a UFC pay per view type breakdown, um, where I go in depth on each fight. But we'll do that on Sunday instead. I think that would be a good plan for UFC Paris. Um, so we'll do that. And if anyone has anything they'd like to hear me discuss. Um, because there isn't going to be a lot, you know, next week. It, that would be a good opportunity for any, like, hypotheticals. Or, like, in the past I've done, you know, matchmaking for UFC stars. So that type of thing would be a good opportunity for that type of podcast as well. So if anyone has anything in particular they would like, um, let me know in the YouTube comments or the Twitter or, or anything. And maybe I'll discuss those as well. So... Um, but you know, thank you so much for watching the Head Get Kale podcast. We have been improving and growing a lot over the past month or two months, three months, maybe even. So thank you to anyone that is, um, watching, listening, wherever. I appreciate that. So, um, thank you very much. And thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick Kale podcast. Goodbye. Oh! He front kicked him in the face! Kevin Lee with the ultimate! Oh.